Welcome to NACIO Voices, where we talk all things state IT. I'm Amy Glasscock, recording from Lexington, Kentucky. I'm Matt Pincus, still here in Washington, D.C. On today's episode of NACIO Voices, we're going to continue our special series on how state CIOs are responding to the COVID-19 pandemic while getting to know a CIO a little better. Today, we have the pleasure of talking with Curtis Wood, CIO in Massachusetts. Kurt has a really fascinating background having spent over 30 years in public safety, which definitely makes for a unique perspective among state CIOs. We're interested in finding out how he went from the public safety arena to the head of enterprise IT in Massachusetts, and of course, discussing his role in how Massachusetts is responding to COVID-19. Kurt, thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome. Thank you for having me on. So as we mentioned in the intro, CIOs all have interesting and unique backgrounds, but I think your long background in public safety sets you apart. So before we really dive into COVID-19, can you tell us a little bit and our listeners a bit uh, briefly about that and how you ended up as CIO of Massachusetts? Sure. So I began my career in April of 1975. Uh, I just got out of the military and I started work as a uh, state correction officer in our state prison system. I spent uh, 23 years with the State Department of Correction, mostly working as a state prison guard and also running the uh, state fugitive unit for many years as well, where we uh, would uh, search and apprehend escaped inmates, parole violators, and violent felons. I was a member of a task force many years. In my last three years with that agency, I ended up getting involved in IT. I actually became the first CIO for the Department of Correction back in 1994 only because I was one of these folks that really depended on information and data uh, to do my job on a day-to-day basis. And I found that it was very challenging. And back then, you know, we didn't really have any type of real computer systems or capacity for data. And we had mainframe computer systems and we had printouts and things of the sort. Most of the computer systems were maintained by our uh, financial and fiscal divisions. And we really didn't have any uh, composite information on inmates or the population. So I uh, ended up being put on a a working group by our commissioner who had just retired from the Bureau of Prisons. And lo and behold, I became the first CIO of the Department of Correction. And with that, we moved forward with uh, building out an inmate management system back in 94 up through 97, the first ever really statewide inmate management system. So I became very interested in technology, but more so from uh, the business side of things and really working with the customers and working with the agencies to build a better understanding and be able to interpret technology needs uh, for the IT side. So, you know, I I retired in 1997. I went into business consulting and management consulting, more from the government side of things for IT. So actually from 97 till 2001, I spent four and a half years doing consulting with uh, technology companies that allowed me to uh, work with different government agencies across the United States, mostly public safety in really building out new systems, fingerprint systems, APHIS systems, uh, criminal history systems, things of the sort, but really interpreting and prioritizing uh, the agency of the business needs and public safety. And then right after 9-11 occurred, our state executive office of public safety and security uh, was creating or transitioning one of our old criminal justice departments into a new technology organization. Uh, It asked me to come back and help out to develop the agency or to build it. And I I said, yeah, I'll come back for a year. That was in the beginning of 2002. And uh, I've been back ever since. And since 2002, I've had several jobs where I was the commissioner of our Department of Criminal Justice Information Services. In 2011, I became the undersecretary 
of public safety overseeing forensic sciences and technology. We saw the chief medical examiner's office, the crime lab, our state criminal justice information system, our 9-1 department, all our technology and really businesses that were associated or leveraged uh, heavily on technology. And then in 2018, I took over this position as the Secretary of Technology Services and Security and also became the CIO of the Commonwealth. So I've been, I've been involved in government business my whole career for the most part. We found that uh, the technology side of things is something that uh, suits me. Uh, I have a great relationship with the businesses. I have a respect and understanding of the agency operations at a city or a state or a national level. So you, know, you combine my public safety experience with you know the technology planning and implementation. You know, it's, it suited me well to take over as uh, you know this this position when the governor offered it to me back in uh, eighteen. So that that's kind of a short forty five year condensed version of who I am. You're such an interesting background, and I think we'll have to figure out a, a way to get you on a podcast at a later date to talk about catching fugitives. I would love to hear that. I know the saying where you stand depends where you sit. Given your experience in other agencies, I'm interested to hear what was your perspective on central IT before becoming state CIO? And I'm assuming your perspective has changed since 2018. It has quite a bit. So I would say that when I took over the IT for public safety, what happened was back around 2007, we had an effort from a previous administration to do IT consolidation. And it you know, became kind of a wave of things. You know, Michigan had done it, some other states had done it. And I found that for many of the CIOs that came in and recommended to their respective governors that you know, IT consolidation is the way to go. It's much better. It's cheaper. It's more effective things of that nature. So myself sitting over public safety, I never accepted that. I always felt that the state IT organization very rarely had a full appreciation or understanding of the business side of things at the agency level in the mm-hmm. field type of technology. State IT organizations were more prepared to handle enterprise uh, infrastructure applications or standards. And I really struggled with the fact that they really seemed to never be able to implement anything or they would always go in a separate direction. They would focus more on big buy or procurement or you know, figuring out what the spec should be for a server or the infrastructure. And I always felt there was a great divide in that. So back in 07, we ended up consolidating our public safety IT organization. We had uh, 13 public safety agencies, and I really relied on my experience in the field and my relationships. And you know, we ended up consolidating our Department of Correction, our state police, our CGIS, all of our public safety agencies into a one public safety data center, one network, uh, one set of standards, one IT organization. And we were very successful, but we still struggled because the agencies and the businesses never really accepted it until we could actually prove that we were able to deliver technology services to them. So certainly understanding the challenge there, I never felt that the state IT organization could really understand that based on my experience. Now, that said, in 2015, when Governor Baker came in, you know, he's a former Secretary of Administration of Finance or, and Health and Human Services in our organization, very deep in understanding knowledge of government, also well, really understood the business aspect of things and, and really started to think about, you know, how can we better deliver IT services and not from a centralization perspective, but really, you know, what's the effective way we can do technology? How do we make better decisions? How do we influence the business? As it really took a different view of how we wanted to approach the technology. And I went to the first meeting with him and uh, my predecessor, a gentleman by the name of Mark Nunley, you know, really took a much different view on the IT and, and really kind of took exception to the state IT organization itself and how they had conducted business and not really accounted for 
you know, the needs of the agencies and the business and the people uh, who actually rely on these services, meaning the constituents and, and the workers in the agency. So we really took a whole new approach in 15. When I got the opportunity from Governor Baker in, in 18, you know, he and I had a conversation about that and we we're on the same page about really delivery of services. It's not about who's in charge. It's not about who's in control. It's really about, you know, how do we develop a better approach uh, to delivering these services and how we do it. So when I heard that, uh, you know, I made the commitment, I'm all in. Uh, I think the other component there is, is really having an appreciation, understanding what you can do and what you can't do. Yep. And what we did was on our side, you know, we, we focused on really uh, understanding what the infrastructure from an enterprise perspective would be, you know, breaking off the business app side of things and keeping that at the agency or the secretariat uh, cabinet level side and really forging ahead a strategy uh, that could work for all. Uh, now, that being said, the other component there, I think, that really interested me was that when I was at Public Safety Act, I started to see the erosion of the investment in IT at the secretary or agency level. You know, IT, unfortunately, still is a challenge to maintain. It's a thing that people tend to cut first or don't fund first. So I think even though I was in charge of a large portfolio of public safety and I was an undersecretary that only had one report up, and that being the secretary and then the governor, I still struggled day to day with funding challenges, with resources, uh, and understood that our organization really couldn't provide for the demands that the businesses needed in this evolving world of technology. And public safety, very, very heavy technology used by users in the field. So I just never thought we could really kind of support what we needed. At some point, probably around 15 or 16, and I started to understand that if we did this the right way from a central perspective or from a leadership perspective, where we could actually influence the businesses and the businesses could be a partner at the table and they could be driving what we're trying to get done. And we had the right people in leadership at our technology organization that we could be successful. So the governor invested his time and effort uh, with our organization and with me personally to start to make that a uh, change. And I, I think, you know, as an example, over the last couple of years, since I've been in this position, we've made some great strides. I take pride in where our organization has come. You know, we've we've switched out our leadership team quite a bit over the past couple of years. We've become, you know, more uh, in line with the business needs and the business drivers. We've really worked hard on an organizational structure, not just buying technology or or setting up standards. We've really kind of moved into, you know, what type of a service organization we can be. Again, where I sit today, absolutely, is it perfect? No, I think we're still maturing in this space. I think, you know, I've I've worked hard with my leadership team and my fellow cabinet secretaries to get a seat at the table, you know, to instill in my team, uh, especially this past three or four weeks that, you know, we are essential personnel. So we've instilled this uh, mandate that we are essential and that, you know, we are part of continuity of government uh, and we need to make sure that work like that. We uh, build our systems and services in our organization to do that. So let's talk about that. I know Massachusetts, at least from you know our perspective, has mm-hmm. had a pretty proactive response to COVID-19. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. you know, tragically, in recent days, it seems Boston and other areas around your state have seen mm-hmm. a surge in new cases and an increase in, in the death toll. Uh, mm-hmm. Can you talk about where things are from your perspective right now in Massachusetts? Sure. What I can say is that you know we've been talking about this. We've been you know our leadership team has been quite clear as to you know, what the expectation was and what the anticipation was. You know, the governor has set up a COVID-19 command center. Our state emergency operations center, our emergency management agency has been activated, you know, working in collaboration from a command and control perspective. You know, we've been able to build out a robust communication platforms and we've certainly implemented the daily briefings. And as our governor would say, it's an insidious disease. You can't see it. 
the position that our administration is, is to make sure that, you know, we're doing the right thing for our community, you know, balancing public health and the needs of the people as well. So I think we projected the surge would hit there on about 420. It's kind of where we're at right now. You know, I think we're as prepared as we can be. We're continuing uh, with our plans and uh, adapting it as needed. So in talking to other CIOs, we've heard about mm-hmm. the massive demand in IT services yep. for a predominantly remote workforce now. Has mm-hmm. this been the case in Massachusetts? You know, we were in the probably in the first quarter, I would say, we would uh, work with Microsoft. We had made a commitment last year. Our uh, state human resources division and our administration had really started to commit more into telework last year. And we were in the process. We have Microsoft Consulting Services here to really bring out the modern workforce environment. You know, we're rolled out Teams and 365 and, you know, the Microsoft product suite and really prepared for, uh, you know, people working remotely. Unfortunately, this, you know, pandemic hit before we were really ready for a full deployment. That said, what we've been able to do over the last couple of weeks is we have about 50% of our workforce is working remote. We certainly had challenges from you know, making sure that people had the appropriate equipment. You know, we had a program underway that we were going to switch out, you know, one device that everybody gets one device, a laptop, and you can take home. We were in the very beginning throes of that project, but we certainly had to accelerate that. So we've we've deployed over 7,000 laptops in about three and a half, four weeks. We have also had to strengthen our infrastructure. Again, you know, we had some technical challenges in the very beginning from a VPN perspective, but, you know, we were able to scale up quite quickly. I think one of the challenges we did have, uh, like many states, I think, I think we're in pretty good shape from a technology perspective and a framework. I think the challenges we had was a workforce, you know, for the most part, that wasn't ready to work remotely yet. We have certain mm-hmm. folks that certainly have worked remote over the years, but when you're talking about people that are usually direct care workers or service workers at a, at a Department of Motor Vehicles or a call center that is not used to, you know, working remotely, it's it's a different scenario altogether. So. In order to get sure. folks lined up, you know, we've certainly had some challenges with our multi-factor authentication, you know, be able to get people enrolled and engaged and, you know, more about the logistics of things mm-hmm. than the actual technology. But after about four weeks, I think, you know, we're in pretty good shape right now. You know, we've been able to really react well and, and manage and stuff. So overall, I think we're in pretty good shape with some exceptions here and there, but overall pretty good. Good. Well, sounds like you uh, were off on the right foot, at least had a little bit of a head start. Yes. Um, so also given your extensive background and experiences in public safety, also emergency management and law enforcement, we know that the majority of these first responders have essential jobs that they can't do from their homes. Right. Right. Has your office had to or been able to take any additional actions during the pandemic to assist those essential workers? Yep. So we've, uh, you know, for example, we've been able to stand up very quickly a remote infrastructure for the public safety workers that are not the first responders. I mean, we have a lot of support staff in our public safety organizations, the administrative folks at the state police, the Department of Correction, our large public mm-hmm. safety organizations that, you know, we still need folks uh, to augment everybody else, whether it be payroll or communications or, you know, financial or procurement, things of that nature, those services. So we certainly sure. prioritize that. Our first responder community, you know, both our police and fire at the state and local level, you know, we, we had a pretty good infrastructure already with, you know, remote workforce. We've had thousands and thousands of, you know, mobile devices already deployed. So that's really never really been an issue. An area that we have really uh, accelerated in and we've, I think, done a pretty good job at 
is we were able to work with our Office of Chief Medical Examiner's Office and stand up a temporary board at a, at a site of a state college or university, I should say. We were able to stand it up in a matter of about three days where we had robust infrastructure, wide, you know, wireless infrastructure for our medical examiners to be able to autopsies in the field, you know, be able to have that appropriate equipment, x-ray equipment, fingerprinting equipment, communications equipment, things of that nature, being able to deploy our statewide radio system in those areas. So we've really kind of worked on that on a demand need. We've also been able to support remotely our, you know, our other workforce, our child enforcement support workforce that really, it's not public safety, but it's, it's essential services for our for our folks that make sure that the child you know yeah. child population is protected by department mm-hmm. of children and family you know, a lot of these service agencies that had not really worked remote they would come in and go to the office things like that so so the it organization our organization along with our you know agency it organizations that are critical to the success of all really work together and make sure we prioritize and the way our state uh, did this is we prioritized our essential services, really looked at our core services first, our essential services, made sure we got the appropriate equipment and, you know, protocols in place there. And now we're coming back into like a phase two to look at like non-core services. If we're going to be an extended work from home, how do we support that as well? So again, you know, we've we've leveraged our public safety folks at our emergency management agency, our National Guard, fire services, our state police. You know, we've also supported the st- setting up uh, testing sites as well, making sure we're working communications-wise. We've worked with our vendor partners, such as Verizon, AT&T, and T-Mobile as well, uh, to make sure that we have the appropriate network infrastructure. And I, I would say that we would not be as successful as we are today if it wasn't for our vendor partners, you know, from our network providers to our data providers to our, just our, even our desktop support folks that are out there deploying and, and delivering equipment. It's been a really, really great partnership. And all of our vendor partners that we've asked to step up and stepped up tremendously. So it's really been a great response by everybody. No, that's really good to hear. And, you know, in talking to other state CIOs and and CISOs, we always mention how are folks dealing with cybersecurity attacks while you're also changing business processes and investing a ton into, you know, supporting this remote work culture. Can you talk about how your agency has been dealing with an increase or just, you know, a general steady state of cyber attacks? Yeah, yeah, sure. We've been doing a lot of work over the past year or so on cyber. You know, we've invested a lot of funding into some technology in the middle, you know, from a network perspective and, you know, standing up a SIM, you know, we've in, we've implemented a huge Splunk environment and some tools. We were in the process, again, of really expanding this infrastructure and this, this service. So nothing like the present to really kind of test our theory and our technology platform. I would say that again, our vendor partners have stepped up. You know, we have certain vendors. We have a, you know, we have a 24/7 knock. Uh, we have a 24/7 sock that we've leveraged in order to stock the monitor. And you know, we're, we're monitoring activity. We're spending a lot of time on monitoring and looking at the threats, communicating with other states, communicating with the feds, uh, communicating amongst ourselves. We've spent a lot of time with our municipal partners to educate them. You know, again, I think one of our stronger areas that we've spent the last several weeks, month on is really about information sharing, communications, providing some advisories out to our folks, informational guidelines, you know, whether it be about Zoom and I'm not picking on Zoom, but it's more, you know, more of a what our behavior is and how we, you know, our hygiene and how we actually do things. So we've tried to spend some time and really, uh, you know, kind of evolve our uh, security awareness training, our security awareness information programs, things of that nature to really 
communicate to people to be cautious, you know, uptick on phishing, text phishing. Like I said, we've got a pre- pretty robust infrastructure that keeps an eye on things. But at the end of the day, you know, it's still about who we are as people. People are working hard to work remote. So we want to make sure that uh, they do it in a safe manner. So, so again, I, I think, you know, the biggest thing for us is, you know, we're, we're protecting, monitoring all the activity. We're, we've certainly seen an uptick in, you know, activity. But that being said, we're, we're corresponding that with, you know, information sharing and making sure people understand and take a little time. You know, we have not abandoned our multi-factor authentication. We've not abandoned any of our security framework in lieu of putting people at a remote work site. We're just trying to be safe, do the best we can as we uh, as well get through this. So last week we interviewed Teresa Cesarek, CIO yeah. in Colorado. And like you, uh-huh. she was also appointed as CIO, you know, a little more than a year ago. But given the amount of new state CIOs over the last year and a half, that kind of makes you a senior CIO now. Do you have yeah. any advice or key lessons learned for your colleagues around the country? And it can be general, yeah. you know, not necessarily related to this. Sure. So, I, I mean, I think in general, what I've spoken before is, and I qualify this by saying, you know, I do come from a different background. I think in my experience, most CIOs at a state level didn't start out as a state prison guard, nor do they have 45 years in government service. Right. Uh, and I think there's pros and cons of both of those. I would just say that I, I think, you know, to be successful, you know, at a state CIO level, I mean, you need to really have a seat at the table. You need to kind of understand the business side of things. You need to be able to have good communication skills. I think you need to be able to, you know, collaborate with people and compromise. I think for all of the CIOs I've worked with over the years at the state level, I, I think it's a challenge for somebody to come in and, you know, with a shelf life of 18 months to two years to actually get anything done. I think it's very challenging in government. You know, as long as you can have an appreciation of how government works, uh, but you need to also be able to adapt, you need to be able to deliver you need to be able to kind of make sure that you have that framework uh, in your organization that will allow you to be successful, especially in times of this, when you're talking about, you know, continuity of government. Sometimes it's little things that make the most difference versus the big things. So I think uh, pace, you know, communication, collaboration, uh, I think compromise is probably the, the biggest word I, I think that I would I would offer out today to folks is to understand that. And, and just really at the end, understand what government service is and what it's really about. And I think you'd be very successful. And if I can be of help or guidance to anybody, uh, I got a few tidbits once in a while. <laughs> we appreciate that. You know, the last question that, that I have for you is, this is a scary and certainly yep. an uncertain time in our country's history, I guess yep. the world's history. And we've all had some time to kind of get used to a new normal. But before we wrap up, just wanted to ask, how are you? What are you doing to try and stay grounded outside of work? Well, I thank you for asking. You know, being somebody that's in a high risk category over 60, well, I'm almost 65. So I'll be 65 in a couple of months. So I guess I'm in that risk category. I think you know, it's like anything. It's, you know, it's something that you prioritize in life. I've told my staff to make sure that, you know, you do take some time for your family. You do take time for yourself that, that you only go around once. I think it's important to understand that. I think you do need to keep things in perspective. You do need to prioritize. I learned this early on when I did get into government service that it's not for everybody. I think this unprecedented event will certainly uh, influence a lot of people and how they do things and how government operates in the future. I think personally, I think a lot of people have to take inventory as to see, you know, if this is for them. I would say personally that it is really scary. It's it just to go out there and, and I never thought in my life and I, you know, I went to the supermarket a couple of weeks ago and I'm standing in line and 
you know, they separated lines to over 60 and under 60. And I get in the over 60 line and people were really upset that I got like a special advantage to get in line. <laughs> oh it was, was kind of surreal. And I'm thinking, yeah. wow, this, mm-hmm. I, I mean, in my life, I would have never, ever, ever, ever thought, you know, we would ever see this in our lifetime. And yeah. I think it just goes to show you. And I, I remember like probably two or three months ago when, you know, the outbreak was strong in China. And a lot of us, I think, just looked at it and said, oh, geez, that'll never happen here. That's in China, you know? And uh, right. I think it, it just gives you great perspective and great respect of you know, what you don't know. And again, I think, you know, it will certainly change the way we all behave and how we all live. And I think the workforce uh, will never be the same. I think the IT space will never be the same. I think if I look at it just in closing, I, I would say that, you know, I've talked to our governor and our, I've been meeting with our human resource agency tomorrow along with our administration division to talk about planning of returning the workforce at some point. But I, I really think that, you know, this is actually an opportunity to think about this much differently. I think, you know, people are getting used to work remote. It certainly has presented us an opportunity to think about things differently. Why put people back in a big old state office building? You know, why do you need to put people in a call center that's six feet apart or three feet apart? You right. know, why don't we think about this differently? Of course, traditionally in state government, we're always influenced by the media and kind of made to feel guilty. We're state workers and stuff like this. And that workforce can't do that. But I, I think we can. I think this is a great opportunity for us to think about how we can deliver better service and a better environment and gives us an opportunity to really invest in our technology platform and really make some good decisions in, in the upcoming year uh, that ready does. Because it, this definitely, this definitely, definitely, definitely has demonstrated the need for continuity of government because people in their daily lives, they depend on government to live. And we need to be there for them. And we need to kind of make sure that we have the appropriate infrastructure and organization and, you know, ability and capacity to do so. I'm glad I'm part of it. I'm glad I'm here, actually, because I think with my experience and perspective on government, uh, I think uh, we're good for each other. That is definitely why we wanted to have this conversation with you today, just because of your unique perspective. But Kurt, we really appreciate you joining us today and taking the time to talk to us. We hope you stay safe and healthy. And uh, we look forward to uh, talking to you soon. Super. Thank you so much. Have a great day. All right. See you guys. Thanks again for listening to NASIO Voices. We hope these weekly episodes highlighting the efforts of state IT agencies throughout this challenging time have been useful to you. And remember that NASIO has resources on COVID-19 on our webpage at nasio.org, including our own COVID-19 planning and preparedness document, as well as all of the podcasts in this series. Remember to stay safe, stay home if you can, and we'll talk with you soon. Bye.